I don't know what inferior swill this is, but I ordered a lot of hula. The scotch on the rocks, please. Any scotch will do, as long as it's not a blend, of course. Uh, single malt, Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, perhaps, maybe a Glengow, any Glen. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. We get literally thousands upon thousands of single malt tourists coming here. They come from all over the world just to set foot on Isla. To study it. No, to drink it. Welcome to the Whiskey Snobs of Lower Moco podcast. My name is Aaron. My name is Adam. And I'm Jesse. And today we'll be taking you through a tour of the Kildalton whiskeys, the Trinity of Isla peated whiskey. Ardbeg, Laphroaig, and Lagavulin. I'm speaking for myself. I've actually been able to visit these distilleries. It was about three years ago. And <laughs> just really starting out by shaming us right away. No, no, no. no, no, no. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to shame you. Jesse and I I'm have just not been that, to Isla, but we both do have plans. I'm just saying that like before that trip, didn't really have the love affair with these peated whiskeys that I do now. It ah, was, okay. So it was partially that trip that really kind of you know, pushed the needle in that direction. Sure. It became a huge love affair with peated whiskey. Oh, that's great. So I don't know if anybody else wants to share how they got into peated whiskey, but. Yeah, I remember after my kind of intro back to the world of whiskey, after a long hiatus, I didn't like peated. And then actually I found a bottle of Lagavulin 16 in my late father-in-law's cabinet and tried it and thought, this is the worst taste that I can't (laughs) stop thinking about. (laughs) And, you know, kind of worked my way into, you know, finally really loving it and, uh, yeah, haven't looked back ever since. And I think the format we're doing today is really neat because we're going to do two expressions from each one, which I think will allow for some comparison, contrast, try to identify the DNA of each distillery, but also the way that, you know, it can express itself differently through different bottlings. And so what are we going to be tasting first? So I think first up is the Laphroaig 10, which is a bottle courtesy of Jesse. If you want to talk a little bit about this particular bottle. Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting because this is another one of those great stories where a friend of mine had this on his bar unopened and is not a whiskey fan. And it turned out he had inherited this bottle. And so it's a Laphroaig 10 that has some old lettering on it and a couple of other old indicators and so I put it out on Facebook to try to get some you know information about the dating and it sounds like it's probably from either the late 90s or early 2000s nice um, maybe maybe later in the 2000s but anyway it's definitely an older bottling and just from my memory of the last time I tasted before I get tastes uh, quite different so it's a bit of a, a spin on the normal uh, Laphroaig 10, I think, that we all can buy today. So Usually when someone has a bottle that they found on someone's liquor cabinet to give to me, it's Schiffus. Yeah, exactly. So, so this one I, I lucked out because then I, <laughs> he allowed me to open it. The cork was broken. Of course. Uh, and, uh, but I was able to, in the middle of this party, kind of fish it out and tried it. And then a couple of days later, I said, uh, could I make an offer for that bottle? And I'd buy you a bottle of liquor that you actually would drink. Uh, and he just said, you can have it because he knew that he would never touch this stuff. So you have better friends than I do. <laughs> yeah, that was a the lucky draw that time. Mm. And so are we going to talk about a little bit about the distilleries, uh, Lafroig, the name meaning? You guys know what Lafroig means? Go ahead. I think that'd be great. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, to me, it's interesting because the Isla distilleries are for the most part all named after places. And so Lafroig is 
referring to the slope of the broad bay, which is sort of a description of the area in the old Gaelic. So now let's uh, let's do a little tasting of this Lafroig 10. Let's start with a little bit of the nose first. See, I think I even in the nose I get like kind of a softer touch oh. from a Lafroig 10 that I'm usually, you know, uh, partake these days where instead of that just real sharp medicinal iodine salty note i think i get a little bit of a softer you know kind of rounded uh element to it that i think is in my guess is maybe there's more sherry maturation in this one than in the, than the more modern so i mean before i go ahead and taste it i'll say that lefroy 10 is my least favorite of the trinity i'm looking forward to trying this older version of it and maybe uh my thoughts on it will change yeah, I think it's it's always been my least favorite, particularly because of the reason I think that Jesse mentioned, which is that to me it's always had a heavier reek to it or a heavier medicinal note as opposed to the Lagavulin, which I associate more with smoky notes and art bag, which I think is just more well-rounded overall. And the thing you always have to mention about Lafroig, though, is that they were able to continue to ship this to the U.S. even during Prohibition because they were able to categorize it as a medicine. <laughs> oh, right. So, which is, I think is telling given how medicinal it tastes. Well, let's drink up. Slange. 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 I do like this much better than contemporary Lafroig. Yeah, I think it's okay. I, you know, I, I do like this better than contemporary Lafroig, but it, it's still not my favorite island. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't run out to buy this bottle either. But I will say, if you ever get a chance to see a uh, masterclass or a tasting run by Simon Brooking, who's one of the brand ambassadors for Lefroy, he puts on a phenomenal masterclass and really he tells jokes, he sings songs, he's got all the info, uh, he's really um, got a lot of information, great information to share. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think Lefroy, the 10 to me is, a, is like, even as a big P fan, I think it's, it's, it's kind of too bitter. And I think some of the other modern uh, Lefroigs are a little bit better. I think the one that we're about to try, Triplewood, is actually, you know, has a bit more of that rounded character. Mm-hmm. I, the core task, uh, you know, has more of the wood that comes out. So so, so what is the, the Triplewood is ex-bourbon, a sherry butt, and a quarter cask. And the quarter cask is virgin oak, or that's ex-bourbon as well? I would think it's still ex-bourbon. Um, but it's an interesting question because most bourbon is not aged in quarter casks. So, yeah. so it's possibly but virgin or possibly maybe, yeah, seasoned. Yeah, not really. I know that. But speaking of segues, why don't we try some? Yeah. Okay. So anybody picking up anything on the nose? It's definitely sweeter than the ten. Yeah. I mean, to me, Ooh. though, this... It's a stronger nose, for it's sure. It's a stronger nose. But, you know, I as I keep going along in my whiskey journey and I find more of these no-age statements, I, I'm not one of these people who's against no-age statements as a blanket rule. I think there's a lot of good ones. But the ones that, you know, you know are generally younger than the kind of base expression, I find are often, you get, there's like this telltale banana kind of uh, leafy note mm-hmm. that to me kind of screams young, you know, younger mm-hmm whiskey, uh, especially when it's peated. Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting because I, I think about John Glazer and what he says about not having an age statement sort of frees you up to really go after a particular flavor profile or a particular style. And so with something like the Triple Wood, 
it may be more consistent over the years because they don't have that constraint. Yeah. John Glazer of Compass Box. John Glazer of Compass Box. I do like the triple wood a lot. I think I think one of my favorites out of the core range is the quarter cask. I feel like the quarter cask just and it's been a while since I've had it. I, I should have a bottle of it. But there's just something about that one that's really nice. Yeah, I don't know. I actually think I like the triple wood the most of the you know, their core range these days. I think I actually like it more than the uh, triple wood, and I uh, sorry, and the more than the quarter cask. And I actually think that I'm also finding that with peated expressions, I like ones that are lightly sherried. Mm. I think ones that are like a real heavy sherry mixed with peat can sometimes be discordant. And we, I don't know, we'll see what we think about the uh, future whiskey uh, in our tasting. Mm. Yeah. So, but a little bit of sherry, I find, uh, you know, I don't know, helps. Round out again. I keep using that expression, rounding out the peat, because uh, when it's just pure bourbon maturation, sometimes I find it a little too bitter and sharp. Mm. So, what are your thoughts on the Lafroid PX? I know we've had it before as a group. Yeah, I mean PX, I think is uh, more of a risky proposition because it's so sweet, and so I think it can be good, but I find it's less balanced. Where like a little bit of sherry in there just. You know, when it's not overpowering, it just provides for a more balanced profile. I think like some of the um, Kilhoman releases, you know, where they just have like some sherry, but not the full. But I think it's also, you know, the the PX maturation to me, I don't particularly like it, but I do like the Oloroso. And so the sherries are all different from each other. And that plays a role, too. The bottom line, as far as Lafrog is concerned for me, is that I their core expressions tend to run together more so than any other distillery on the island that I can think of. And that may be because 90% of the barrels that they use in maturation are first fill ex-bourbon. So they're essentially using the same sort of swaths of barrels for their, mm-hmm. their whiskey. They would be using Jim Beam because Jim Beam. they're owned by Beams on Tory. Okay. And that's probably why. They probably just have this incredibly lucky kind of steady stream of first fill Right, bourbon, and so. But, but it's an interesting counterpoint to Lagavulin, which I think, at least for the sixteen, primarily uses third fill uh, ex bourbon barrels to have casts that are a little less active. Then mm-hmm. they say gives them more control over the the final product. Uh, but you know, then I've seen they have a new tequila coming out that uh, is aged in Lagavulin barrels, and oh, you no wonder kidding. what impact or what interplay the wood has with the spirit at that point when it's been th- through so many. I could get down with that. I gotta try something. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, even the idea that it's a sixteen-year-old entry-level spirit, you know, that uh, makes sense that they maybe use a th- uh, older, more used casks. Oh, sure, sure, because you know, it's not resting there for longer. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what would you guess the age is on the triple? Is it standard six to eight years? I mean, you know, it doesn't actually taste all that young. I mean, the nose actually had that note that I'm not a big fan of, but. I, I don't know. I, I, I would think this is maybe eight, but it, it doesn't like say eight, six, to, six to eight. I would. Yeah. If I had to guess, I don't know. it does I have a little bit of that youngness to it. Right. But I mean, if you give me a six to eight year old Kalila, uh, no statement, you know, I, you, that would you'd probably taste younger to me. I mean, this, this actually has, there's probably some older stock in here. So another sort of interesting counterpoint to the art bag and leg of wool that we'll be tasting is that, Lafroig is characterized in their distillation process of having a very long four-shot run. 
So they go deeper into the distillation cut than, than do Ardbeg or Lagavulin. Mm-hmm. So there's less estuary notes in the new make, but that deeper cut means that they have heavier phenolics. And so that might be the more traditional sort of Laphroaig first nosing, first tasting of that heavy brininess or, or sort of... Um, Sorry, so say that again, though, you, they go deeper into the cut, meaning they, they, they have cut a longer, it off at the tail. They, they have like a longer foreshot. So they just, their hearts are uh, have a tighter dispersion than do art bag or okay so they wait they wait longer to like turn on to get into right yeah okay yeah interesting yeah so should we move on to the lagavulin sure let's do it so in terms of place names what is uh what does lagavulin mean you were there what does it mean it means lagavulin (laughs) so lagavulin is gaelic for hollow of the mill and i think lag is a word that you'll see in Scottish place names quite a bit. And so that might be the hollow portion of it. Interesting, you know, because I actually saw that there's a new distillery called Lag that's huh. coming out that's the peated, is it Aaron? That's associated with Aaron? Yeah, yeah. And I thought it was kind of interesting that, you know, they didn't kind of challenge that because I distillery called Lag, I think, is right. so close to Lag of a Wood. But I think if you look at the island, the, the Isle of Arran, you'll see that there's actually a place called Lag, mm. which the distillery is, is adjacent to. So it's going to be tough to argue with that one. It is, but it's the same as Highlands. You know, if you're making whiskey in the Highlands, it's Highlands whiskey, whether those Highlands are in Scotland or they're in Virginia. So we're starting off with the Lagavulin 16. So this is an expression that's been aged for at least 16 years. This is my bottle. This definitely oh. noses a little bit different. A, the, yeah. The, it, I, this is not. The your, day I opened it, I'm like, something's, something's a li- little off on this one. I poured myself some the other day, and I, I got a, an apple note out of it. Which was odd because I've never gotten that out of a, of a lag sixteen. I'm sorry, lag of Wulin sixteen. There's another lag on the block. So yeah, yeah, um, I, you know, and, and so this batch variation I think is a very interesting phenomenon yeah. that not many people pay attention to. But clearly, you'll see people. I, I've seen it more so with Lafroy than any other Isla distillery, where people will talk about the Lafroy batch. Nine or batch eight or batch with ten. The, yeah, with the cash strings, yeah. So Jesse is just pouring the Ardbeg expressions now while we're taking a look at the Lagavulins and just sort of nosing that Lagavulin 16 and remarking it how different it is from really every other Lag 16 that any of us have ever had. It's the, I don't really it's get a lot of smoke on this at all. Yeah, it's, it's, all, it's different. Yeah. So, well, you know, I always wonder, like, when... We all feel as we've tried, you know, some of our favorite expressions over and over again over the years. And like there's this consistent feeling that it's getting worse. Yeah. You know, you want to wonder what what is really happening there. I mean, it seems like the main it seems unlikely that they're actually using different barley, different peat. Well, they are using different techniques in some cases and the equipment changes uh, some parts of the process whether it's the malting or the distillation and just, and just the barrels and know, just like no but that's barrels. what i was getting at is i think that the main variable that probably changes but i'm talking about for an established distillery like yep. lagavulin my guess is that the, a lot of those basic techniques and the sourcing of the barley you know yeast and water peat all that stuff is probably the same 
or maybe with minor variations. It seems to me like the barrels and the quality of the barrels is the main thing that's changing over time. It's well, like the supply you could also look at the barley changing over time, where previously the barley may have all come from closer in from Scotland, whereas now you have a lot of barley coming from Poland or Russia or some other breadbasket area. Or areas. just that that year's harvest. Right. There was interesting right. weather that year. Right. And the, the barley just came out different. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, but that's also like the function of the master distillers to, you know, try to get it as close as possible yeah. to uh, whatever their kind of, you know, uh, paradigm of Lager 116 is. But, you know, so, I mean, some of that stuff can then uh, play a role. But in our view that it's getting less flavorful over time, you know, I mean, there might be minor batch variations, but I mean, I feel like. The wood and the, and the yeah. and wood scarcity is probably the biggest thing to blame. But the you know the interesting sort of human element here is that I think mostly people have talked about expressions getting worse. Like the Highland Park Twelve has gotten worse over time. It's thinner, lagavulin. Like maybe it's getting worse. No one's talking about expressions that are getting better. So are there? Is it just that drinkers are becoming more jaded as they become more experienced and their palates become more? sort of accustomed to certain notes that they expect to detect. And if they don't detect them, then they are unhappy. I, I can't think of any expression that I would, I've heard anyone say has gotten better. Well, I, I would disagree. I, I mean, I don't think maybe, I think you're probably right with like the established distilleries, but I think some of the newer ones as they oh, are letting right, things right. age longer, right. I mean, like kill homans, right. You know, seem to be getting better. Uh, so and and there's probably a you know, for the for the same expression that's released year after that's what I'm talking about like a Highland Park Twelve that's released year after year, and it's always you know roughly twelve to fifteen year old whiskey and it's hasn't matured any longer than it ever has before. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I'd be curious, but I, I you know I'm not sure that's necessarily you know it's like a thousand a million flies can't be wrong, <laughs> and I think like when every whiskey drinker basically says yeah what highland park 12 is not the same as yeah. what it used to be and you can go buy an older bottle of highland park 12 and try it and i've done that most recently with talisker and there's like no question in my mind that a bottle of talisker 10 from 15 years ago or 25 years ago superior to is superior and yeah. i mean and maybe it's rougher i think that's definitely part of the narrative is like older bottles of whiskey i think had more variation because they hadn't like, you know, uh, regularized all the processes. And so you might get one batch like this and, you know, a little bit, one's a little bit rougher, one's more smoky, one's more iodine or whatever. But I think there's no question they've got more flavor. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I, I was fortunate enough to have tried an older Talisker 10 against the, the, the current Talisker 10 and wholeheartedly agree. Mm. I so, not had the pleasure. And so I think with Sherry, sorry, the last thing I would say is that I think, you know, some of it is wood per se and kind of quality of barrels. But I think that particularly plays a role in sherry because, you know, there's only so many good sherry matured ex sherry barrels mm -hmm. out there. You have more and more of these distilleries that are actually like seasoning the casks because they're not actually selling the sherry. They're just right. putting sherry in there to act for the purpose of creating sherry casks. And there's it seems unlikely that those are going to be as good as like the old school, barrels that actually used to hold sherry mm. yeah yeah so you know what, what's a little bit of a shame maybe this is a batch that's a little bit off but earlier we were talking about what got us into peated whiskey and for me it was the sort of usual arc of 
Talisker 10, delicious. Mm-hmm. Highland Park 12, delicious. And then when you first hit that Lagavulin 16 and the smokiness and just the palate of it and the nose of it, it's so good. And that's that's what really got me hooked. And there's no bad notes to it that I remember from those first couple of samplings of Lagavulin 12. This has sort of opened up over the 10 minutes or so that we've had it um, sitting in our glasses. This batch, I think, is still not the traditional or it, the typical. It, yeah. And I'm going to go right out there and say that I'm not one of the more skilled people at picking out notes and things. But I can tell that there is just something off on this one. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. It's kind of like there's some young fruit. or get more like shoe polish or something like that kind of acetone you know, not not like that great kind of burnt peat, you know, that is so inviting. It's it's more of like uh, it does taste more medicinal in kind of a bad yeah. way, yeah, which is a shame because. Yeah. I mean, it's not that it's an expensive bottle. It's not a cheap bottle, but it's a good go to for your peated whiskey. It's approachable. To me, this is not hitting that reputation. Yeah that yeah. it should have. It's not the warm bonfire that Ron Swanson would cross the sea to, to, <laughs> to taste. That's a good point. I should have a few words with him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, compared to the Lagavulin 16, which I, I assume is predominantly, if not all, matured in ex-bourbon barrels, third fill ex-bourbon barrels, you have, we have next to it the Lagavulin Distillers Edition, which has a, an extra maturation. It's finished using PX Sherry Cast. So which year is this one? So this is, let me take a look at the bottle, uh, bottled in 2015. Oh, okay. 1999, bottled in 2015. I heard that this is a very good vintage of the Lagavulin DE because we were there in 2016 and had the 2016 DE, which was not very impressive. And a couple that we met on this trip who we're still friends with, they said the 2015 was far superior. Mm, interesting. So I'm actually very excited to be trying this now. Well, you know, it's always a little bit of a jolt for me because PX Sherry is noted for its sweetness. And so that, you know, is a uh, is an interesting mix with peated expressions. The yeah. nose on this uh, is very enjoyable. It's not the smoky bonfire that you expect from a Lagavulin 16, but it's... It's a very nice nose. I it, it, it's, it's almost... There's a little bit of a, like an almost perfumey or sort of floral note to it. Mm. So sorry to go back though. You were you were saying you. I thought there was some like mystery about whether there's ex sherry casks in Lagavulin, and that's some debate. But you you said something definitive, like you it, you think it's all ex bourbon oh, matured. Well, so for Lafroig, you know, I know that ninety percent of the barrels that they use are ex bourbon barrels. For Lagavulin, I assume that the Lagavulin 16, just from its flavor profile, is is either predominantly or all ex-bourbon, whereas this is noted on the bottle and in the marketing materials, obviously, is having that sherry finish. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I feel like Lagavulin, there's like the debate about that, and uh, the, they, they, they're very like closed-lipped about whether they actually use it. And I would think if they're using like third fill, there's probably not a whole lot of difference. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know where they, you know, you were mentioning where Lefroy, which is a Beam Suntory company, is getting its barrels from. Lagavulin, as you know, is a Diageo-owned uh, distillery. And so they, um, I, don't, I don't know where they get their barrels from. Yeah, I don't know. So they, it's them Diageo, and Coolio. Yeah, they, Diageo owns Dickel. They probably own some other bourbons oh, okay. uh, too, though. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they don't reveal that much. 
Anyway, going and back so to what, the what do you, yeah, what do you guys think of the PX? I mean, I I kind of stick to my point I made earlier, which is that I think that PX being so sweet um, often doesn't mix terribly well with. So I PX. I brought this. I brought this to yeah. tasting. I don't like it. This is not a whiskey that I like. And that's, you know, it's a shame because Legvolen is one of my favorite distilleries. But Thanks, I, thanks for sharing. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, I, you know, I wanted to round out the Trinity. I know I knew that you had the Legvolen 16 that, that you yeah. happily shared knowing it was a little bit off. Uh, so I wanted to bring my bottle I, that I'm glad you're off. I'm glad I'm not crazy. <laughs> you know, I off bottle. But I did bring a nice surprise for after the nice. Trinity tasting. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So uh, the thing about like sweet and peat that I usually find is that uh, I often like ported peat expression. Sorry, not ported, but port. Yeah. Export. Right. Right. Uh, pipes or whatever they use, you know, matured uh, with peat. And because then it's like so sweet and syrupy and heavy that it just, you know, uh, I don't know. It gives you just like a, just like a flavor explosion. Where PX is sweet, but it doesn't necessarily have like the body and the full yeah. rounded kind of profile of a port. And so, I've usually found that you know if I like something that's sweet and peat mixed, it's often where there's a, a port matured rather than PX. And now you were just talking earlier about some distilleries that are more recently founded getting better over time. And here is sort of an aberration in that model where you have a Kilhoman founded in 2005, whereas Lagavulin was founded in, <laughs> legally in 1816, but much earlier than that, uh, according to records. But Kilhoman, I think, has really hit it out of the park with all of their sherry uh, peated expressions, whether it's port or whether it's, um, you know, red wine, which may or may not be sherry. They've done very well. I haven't had a bad Kilhoman. And that's it. That is a fair thing to say. I can't think of a Kilhoman that didn't come close to knocking my socks off or knocking my socks off. Right, right. So now that we've made our way through these uh, two Lagavulin, should we move on to the Arbigs? Sounds like a great suggestion to me. Yeah. (laughs) Bring it home with Arbigs. We can certainly note right away that the color between the Ardbegs and the Lagavulins is drastic. Okay, so now the place name for Ardbeg, just r- right off the bat. What, uh, what is the, now you've been to Ardbeg. What is Ardbeg? What does that stand? What does that mean in Gaelic? It means Ardbeg. Uh, it <laughs> means small promontory. Define. What'd you call me? Promontory. <laughs> promontory. Promontory Rider. It's a great Grateful Dead song. Okay, so Lafroig is being Suntory. Lagavulin is uh, Diageo. Ardbeg is owned by, as everyone knows, Hennessy. Or Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy, excuse me. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, so another, you know, sort of smallish distillery. You know, they they don't produce a lot by volume. Maybe, I want to say, a million liters or something like that compared to the workhorses like Kulila, which produce huge volumes of whiskey for blends and for single malts. But uh, everything that Ardbeg puts out, I love. This this is the Ardbeg 10? Yes. Right. Yeah, the nose is. I mean, this is. I would say kind of a gateway peated expression. I remember the first time I had Ardbeg Ten, and I hated it. Absolutely hated it. And now it's one of my favorites. It's it's one of my favorites, and I think to me Ardbeg is one of the more interesting distilleries in that year after year they put out a special release of what is typically a non-age stated uh, special release whiskey that there is a high demand for. Uh, it's 
usually comes at a fairly high price point, but everyone buys it. Yeah. It comes in, like, the committee releases usually around 110 or so. Yeah. It's getting higher it, now, though, yeah. I mean, we're yeah. like 120, 125. I mean, it creeps, it creeps yeah. up every year. Yeah. And Drum, I think, was probably one of the more expensive committee releases that they had. Yeah. I have to say, though, I mean, I, uh, you know, I like a lot of different Arbeg expressions, but I've never really loved the Arbeg 10. I, th- I think that the kind of the citric acid, like lemon lime, you know, flavor, which is the kind of characteristic Arbeg note, that and this kind of dark chocolatey note. But I, I find it's like a little too sharp for me. And I think in some of their other releases, Corey Vreckin, Boogadale, Dark Cove, you know, other ones yeah. where, again, even NO, I think NO is yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And talk about price point, that's a $50 bottle that's delicious. I've seen yeah, that retail it. for more than Oogie. Really? Which is criminal. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like I would turn down any of these standard releases, but I just find that, you know, what gets more interesting for me is when they take our bag, that kind of base well, spirit, and they mix it up with uh, other, you know, elements and, and go for something slightly, uh, you know, slightly different. Again, it's maybe it's getting a little bit of sherry in there. I, I, do we know more about the cask types for Ardbeg? For Ardbeg? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can tell you that um, from a production standpoint, you know, their malt PPM, they're hitting the 50 to 55 range. Um, the, the, their aging is primarily at the distillery. It's done edged and racked. Uh, I think Ardbeg is more of a mix of, uh, well, Ardbeg 10 in particular is a mix of first fill and second fill ex bourbon. So there's not a, mm. there's not sherry in here. It's, I find it to be much more active on the palate than any of the other expressions that we've tried so far. And that would make sense, at least as far as the Lagavulin 16 is concerned, where you, you have these third fill casts and here you have this mix of first fill and, uh, and second fill. To me, this yeah. is the, first expression we've had where you really can pick out the bourbon cask influence. Yeah, it's I, I would agree. really strong on this one. It, it's strong to me in an enjoyable way. It's not, it's not boring. It's not a neutral palate. It's, it's very active. And I think it's going to be an interest. We have the Ugadol to go along mm-hmm. with this. It's going to be an interesting comparison because the Ugadol is an example of how sweet and savory notes can work together. You've got the, the dried fruit notes from the sherry cast is 90% ex-bourbon and 10% ex-sherry. So it's a little accent mark. It's kind of like a little seasoning on the uh, on, on the blend. Ugadale's only 10% sherry cast? 10% ex-sherry, oh, no. yeah. Everyone kind of thinks of it as this, as it's like it's predominant, you know, it's a sherry matured Arbeg. I, yeah, I would thought it's more than 10%. Like a mini sherry bomb, but it, I guess it's not. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting to think about how that compares to a finishing. So, you know, you might have an expression that's matured for 12 years in ex-bourbon barrels and then finished for a year uh, in, in sherry barrels. I, I don't know what the process was hmm. for um, Ugadal, whether they did concurrent or consecutive aging. Well, let's give it a go. Yeah, the Ugadal. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, I know that the, the, that is named after their, uh, the lake. lake. It's Lake Ugadal, right? That, that so, actually is the source of their water. Loch? No, I thought it was like actually Lake was it on Lake Ugadal in Scotland? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Look it up. Let's look it up. But I, I would just was never a, imagine that there's anything I don't think it's called actually called Loch. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just when they translate it to American English, they call it the lake that's up the hill or something. But I thought that uh, – so it might be Loch Ugadal. But I think on the back of the box, <laughs> it refers to the lake that's like above – 
the distillery. Um, it's a yeah, nearby it's, lock. Fine. It, 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 that's the official <laughs> name. But yeah, I think on the back of the box, yeah, it says yeah. something about a lake. Yeah. And translating it for American audiences who uh, may not be familiar with the Loch Ness Monster. Exactly. You know, and the, and the coloring is just so different. I, Ardbeg 10 has always been one of the lighter expressions. I don't, and Ardbeg 10, interestingly enough, is colored by caramel by E150 uh, for consistency, but not, of course, to make it darker. It, it had to have been new make clear before they added the coloring because there's just nothing to it. Yeah, there, there really isn't. The only lighter colored whiskey that I've had is maybe Perpetuum, which is really uh, just a, a shade more yellow than completely transparent. <laughs> well, you know, I do think that maybe part of why people think the Ugadal has a higher sherry content is that it's sweeter. But I think some of the sweetness just comes from it being at a higher ABV than the 10. Which is something that we really haven't talked about tonight at all is the ABVs of all the different expressions that we've tried. But you go from the distiller's edition, which uh, is at a you know, respectable 43%. The Lagavulin 16, which is also 43%. The Ardbeg 10, I always loved Ardbeg for, you know, this is a 46% ABV whiskey, and they don't necessarily release everything at 40%. And I, you know, kudos to them for that. Absolutely. I mean, what's fun about Ardbeg is that you have this great rivalry of sorts between people who favor the Ugadal and other ones who favor the Cory Vareken, which is yeah. the other part of their range that is also at this higher ABV, but has a different finishing. Like they use, I think, French oak as part of the mix rather than these sherry casks. And, you know, they both really are like phenomenal whiskeys that just have slightly different characteristics. And I always think the Ugadal has this kind of raisiny element from the sherry cask, which I even think they, they mention in their standard copy. Yes. And then the Cory Vareken, I think I get more of this kind of darker chocolatey note. But then when we do these, we've done some blind tastings and I get it wrong and I confuse yeah. the two and I love them yeah. both. And it's like, but uh, the Corey Reckon has that, that French oak influence. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would say though, for the money, because Ugadal is generally at least 10, maybe 20 bucks cheaper. I'm picking up the Ugadal. Yeah. I like the Corey Reckon, but it doesn't have an extra 20 bucks above. <laughs> from yeah. There. That's true. Sometimes you have to. Consider those real-world factors. So when we go to tastings and they're pouring it for free, I'm yeah. I'm having it. I'm enjoying it. But I still think I like Ugadal better. Mm. Yeah, I'm a strictly Ardbeg 10 kind of guy. I do like uh, drum, grooves, uh, some of the more recent uh, annual special releases. But for me, Ardbeg is not my daily drinker. I get excited for that annual release, but I don't really pull Ardbeg off the shelf other than that. Yeah, I do think um, one of the neat things about our Bag 10, though, is that it won this, you know, Whiskey of the Year from Ralphie. I think maybe at this point it was 2017. But, you know, it was a great kind of throw to just a great standard release that has stayed at a very high level of quality. Yeah, and nobody's uh, saying that our Big Ten has gotten worse no, over time. No, I think that's true. That's, it really is almost like a standout in that no one makes that complaint. Right, and they've and, kept the price point fairly consistent. It's been yeah. in the like forty to fifty dollar range for years now. Whereas Talisker Ten has crept up, yeah, oh, Highland yeah. Park Twelve has crept up. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and it gets the extra points for the forty six percent ABV. Yep, it gets points for non chill filtered. You know, we've had these debates before about whether it's colored, but 
if it is colored, it's got to be like a very minute amount because it still ends up looking but it's almost not, clear. It's not colored to fool you. It's not colored to make it look darker. Right. It's right. colored, I think. If, if it is colored, it's colored for consistency. Who knows? But, but that you know that's still surprising too. When we go back to when you talked about its aging. Yeah. You said it's first fill and second fill bourbon. It's bourbon. Yeah. I mean, how does it end up so light as ten years, and at least even some percentage of first fill bourbon? Right. It's that's kind of a mystery uh, yeah. that it ends up so light in color. Yeah, you know, it would be interesting to compare it to some others that are darker and not colored. But you know, I've seen some Bunahabans that are twenty years old that are very very light in mm. color. Yeah, I think when you even get like a second fill bourbon. Or third fill bourbon, you see all these independent bottlings out there that are 18, 20 years old and they look super light. You know, it's because they're using these inactive second fill, third fill sherry butts. Yeah. So, but usually when you see, you know, if it's not colored and it's a first, and there's some first fill bourbon casks in there, you're getting at least some color. Yeah. A yeah. sherry obviously gives a lot more. Anyway, digression. But otherwise, I mean, our big 10 is just. You know, you got to give it credit for just being like one of the real stalwarts on the uh, standard liquor, liquor shelf. Yeah, for sure. So do you guys want to end on a on a surprise blind tasting? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Uh, thus concludes our formal tasting of the Kildalton series, the Holy Trinity, the Ardbeg, Lagavulin, and Lefroy. Uh, you now, guys, is, it, is this going to be a blind tasting for... Just the listeners or for us too? Well, this will be a blind taste thing for you two and the listeners. And I'd love to kind of get a sense of your opinion of what this particular expression is on nose, palate, and finish without any information at all about what it is. Okay, so on the nose, what are you guys getting? Definitely some sherry. But like good quality sherry. Like that kind of great raisin, sultanas, brown sugar. Yeah, I was just no, about to say, I'm, I'm getting a lot of brown sugar. Mm. And so this is a, a very dark. This is the darkest one of the evening by far. I'm getting a little little sulfur. You getting a little sulfur? I'm not getting a lot. But like a candy note. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Very sweet. Um, you know, it's maybe some like a nuttiness, stone fruits. Yeah, so I can tell you a little bit about its maturation. This is a 14-year-old expression that consists of two different spirits. One that was aged. Uh, entirely in ex-bourbon barrels, and one for 14 years, one that was aged for 10 years in ex-bourbon barrels before being moved to a four-year maturation in ex-sherry. You can definitely pick out that heavy bourbon influence. Like, it's to me, that's really up front. And I, I will tell you that this was aged in a location that had a lot of humidity. It was not aged in Scotland. So almost akin to uh, like an Ambrut or a um, something of that sort, an Indian. I think it's delicious. So the big reveal is, mm. any other thoughts before I go to the it's big reveal? It's got a... Um, I already have my guess, so I won't say. It's got a, like a graininess to it or something. Yeah. Yeah. The I'm finish, very curious what it is. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a bizarre finish. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I think it's an exciting it's, nose, an exciting palate, and exciting. It's kind of dancing around a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So this is a four-square Barbados rum. Uh, it's an exceptional cast selection, Mark Nine, uh, pot and column distillation blend, fifty-six percent ABV. 
And I think it presents sort of an interesting comparison to scotch because for a lot of years, you know, I, I was not a big fan of rum. Um, but having just gotten into the category a little bit, I found that there's some really interesting um, maturations that are happening in the rum world and have been happening that I think are, are pretty interesting. And this this is the Foursquare Empery. Empery meaning uh, complete and total dominion, domination. <laughs> it's a real uh, humble name there. Can I see the bottle? Yeah. People are calling these Foursquare releases the uh, Pappy of Rum. Are they? I, I know. Yeah, I have seen okay, that now several times. I mean, I think it's a bit tongue in cheek, but I mean, I think well, it's because they're high quality. Well, because implies to me that you know it's hard to get, vastly overpriced, super expensive. <laughs> These are not that. T- I mean, I paid more than I should have for that, but I, you know, I, I had a tasting of this at the uh, Green Zone in downtown DC and loved it, and just had to have a bottle on my shelf. It's a great sipping rum, as opposed to what people use uh, a lot of the. There's a lot of cocktails in the rum world, obviously. I totally understand what you were saying about the relationship with scotches. I wouldn't think of rums as things you could pick out notes for and like you care about the barrels that it's matured in. Right. But I feel like with this one, if you have a good palate for picking out notes in scotch, you will appreciate this for that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, to me, this is almost like I would compare this to an Aberlour Abenad. Oh, sure. Mm. You know, high strength, sherry matured. I think that's a, that's a great comparison. Yeah, but I mean, the where I really think, it would be interesting to do a side-by-side because where I think you could tell the difference between a whiskey and the rum is not really the nose and not really the palate. It's like at the towards the end of the palate is when I really get this like kick of the sweetness yeah. that mm. you get from a rum where like I think – with whiskey, you get more of a mouthfeel that's like from the barley, a thicker mouthfeel, you know, a more complex finish. I think that it, the finish to me dies off pretty quickly. Not super yeah. quickly. There's still some right. finish there. But like compared to a whiskey, I think that that's where you really can tell the difference. Yeah. This, you know, what stands out to me about this besides the finish, which I agree is uh, more pronounced and, and somewhat longer than many scotches that I've had. It's just if you if you let your nostrils kind of hover over the, the rim of the Glencairn, it, it really has a just a delightfully present and nose with a high personality. It's just I, I would find this to be instantly recognizable. If I had this for a couple of evenings in a row and then somebody put this in front of me without me knowing what it was, I think I'd be able to pick this out. It's that distinctive. Yeah, it certainly does come across like a rum for scotch drinkers. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I think Foursquare is targeted. I don't, maybe, maybe not self-consciously, but I think a lot of this is kind of a gateway, I think it, you a know gateway rum. The the real rum aficionados would would kind of chafe at that because they would think that you know implicitly what you're saying is that the Scotch drinkers are the you know the real connoisseurs right. that care about quality and characteristics, and rum is just a bunch of Captain Morgans and you know. Well, but I mean, I to be fair though, I mean, you can talk about gateway scotches for bourbon drinkers and. You know, I, I don't think it's an unfair. I mean, I know what you're saying, but um, like it's an inferior product. But I, I think like there's something fair to be said to like have these labels out there and expressions that are in the zone where you know a pure rum drinker will love this, but yeah. you know a Scotch drinker or a bourbon drinker, I would even think this is more of a bourbon drinker's 
Rum. Yeah, I, I would agree with that one. I think with the, the, with the Scotch drinkers that you have these some of these Jamaicans that we've tried or that Fiji rum that I have they actually do have some smoke to them. Yeah, that uh, you know I, I you know personally like more because of my interest in PD whiskey. So what, let me turn the question around. What, what would you think is a rum drinker Scotch? The Balvenie Caribbean casket. <laughs> <laughs> Or a drum. <laughs> I, I actually think it would be what you mentioned first, which is like an Avalora Budna or something like that, which is, you know, heavily sherry. It has a lot of flavor to it. Very, very, you know, palate forward. This is really, this is even getting better. And just that as we're talking about it, I feel like it that this up. would yeah, it's opening like up. sit for yeah. 15, 20, 30 minutes. I bet it, it reveals even more. I'm getting past just like the first kind of initial sherry notes to like a lot more layered I'm, I'm to it. more of the rum characteristics that I'm familiar with, and I'm not a huge rum drinker. They're coming out as it sits and opens yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. Whereas I was getting a lot of the bourbon notes from the maturation up front. Now I'm getting a lot more of the rum. Yeah. And you're sure this is Caribbean aged, not continental? Uh, I'm almost positive it's aged in, you know, Barbados. Oh, yeah. Great. Which is a, an interesting point about the rum world that does not exist in, for the most part in the Scotch world where, well, by regulation, of course, but in the rum world, you can have a spirit distilled in one location that's aged in a location that has a completely different climate and a climate that impacts the aging uh, in meaningful ways. Whereas yeah. in, in Scotland, you, you can't age it elsewhere and still call it Scotch. Or Highlands, apparently. Or Highlands, apparently. <laughs> Uh, and on that note, should we call it a wrap? I think we can. I think so. It's been a, f- a lot of fun, guys. Yeah. Some interesting notes, some interesting factoids. Yeah. Yeah. Some yeah. Whiskey. We will have to super awesome rum. Yeah. Thanks to everyone for listening and look forward to seeing you on episode two. I must say, damn good stuff, sir.